Professor Grunsplatter's Spookatorium. I am your curator, Professor Grunsplatter. Beyond these doors crouch the wonders, horrors, and wry smiles of an uncanny world. This world, your world. Should you choose to come inside, the sounds and stories that the shadows tell will be yours to behold. Make no mistake, it is a place of questions, not answers. A place where the tickle in your belly or the twitch in your eye simply mean you're paying attention. But then if you weren't curious, you wouldn't be here. There will be no refunds once you enter. Thank you for your attention and the brave ones. Greetings, this is episode 60 of the Spookatorium, and that was Doc Watson with a little Christmas ditty called The Lawson Family Murder. Uh, Not to worry, I am not going to try and maintain a holiday theme for this episode. I do reserve the right in the future to do a full dark traditional music and murder ballad episode at some point, though. Uh, I want to say thanks to the new listeners that have found the show in the last few weeks. I'm not sure how you heard about it, but there's been a significant increase in downloads the last month or so, and I appreciate it very much, and I hope you stick around. Uh, Coming up in a bit, 
I am going to revisit the tradition of the Midwinter Ghost Story that I adopted last year for the show. I think last year I said something about Scott Thomas would be ideal for this. Uh, his, he's a modern writer who writes uh, some really fantastic uh, little ghost stories, uh, but his work is not in the public domain. And I did actually try and find a way to contact him this year, but I struck out. Uh, so I have The Attic by Algernon Blackwood for you in a little bit, which is a lovely tale all the same. And now, uh, before we get to that, this is Cindy Talk with And Now in Sunshine.
That last track was from a new collaboration that just came out on Dumpster Score between Andrew Quitter and Jonathan Kennedy. Uh, it's different for each of them, and uh, I thought it was pretty great myself. That, that track was called uh, Truth Trader Part 1. Uh, before that was Siglo XX with I Send You My Tears, and that set opened with Cindy Talk with uh, And Now in Sunshine. And now this is uh, Profane with by the power bestowed upon them.
That was Ali O.D. with Cryptic Spell from the 1992 release Under a Holy Ritual. Before that was Unfeeling with the track Fading, and that is a side project of Derek Rush from Compactor, Dream Into Dust, and others. And then opening that set was Profane with the power bestowed upon them from their EP A Silent Ode to Those Who Predate Us. Scratching for ways to define the ineffable. Humanity's fever to understand the other finds voice through its artistry. The Attic by Algernon Blackwood. The forest girdled village upon the Eura slopes slept soundly. Although it was not yet many minutes after 10 o'clock, the clang of the Covir few had indeed just ceased, its notes swept far into the woods by a wind that shook the mountains. This wind now rushed down the deserted street. It howled about the old rambling building called La Citadel, whose roof towered gaunt and humped above the smaller houses, chateau left unfinished long ago by Lord Werner's, the exiled Jacobite. The families who occupied the various apartments listened to the storm and felt the building tremble. It's the mountain wind, it will bring the snow, the mother said, without looking up from her knitting. And how sad it sounds. But it was not the wind that brought sadness as we sat around the open fire of peat. It was the wind of memories, the lamplight slanted along the narrow room towards the table where breakfast things lay ready for the morning. The double windows were fastened. At the far end stood a door ajar, and on the other side of it, the two elder children lay asleep in the big bed, but beside the window was a smaller, unused bed that had been empty now for a year, and tonight was the anniversary. So the wind brought sadness and long thoughts. The little chap that used to lie there was already twelve months gone, far, far beyond the hole where the winds come from, as he called it. Yet it seemed only yesterday that I went to tell him a tuck-up story to stroke Riquette, the old motherly cat that cuddled against his back and laid a paw beside his pillow like a human being, and to hear his funny little earnest whisper say, Uncle, have you been praying for Pedaval? For La Citadel had its unhappy ghost of Pedaval, the usurer, who had hanged himself in the attic a century gone by and was known to walk its dreary corridors in search of peace. And this wise Irish mother, calming the boy's fears with wisdom, had told him, if you pray for Pedaval, you'll save his soul and make him happy, and he'll only love you. And thereafter, this little imaginative boy had done so every night. With a passionate seriousness, he did it. He had wonderful, delicate ways like that. In all our hearts, he made his fairy nests of wonder. In my own, I know, he lay closer than any joy imaginable, with his big blue eyes and his queer soft questionings and his splendid child's unselfishness. A sun-kissed flower of innocence that, had he lived, might have sweetened half a world. Let's put more peat on, the mother said, as a handful of rain-like stones came flinging against the windows. That must be hail. And she went on to tiptoe to the inner room. They're sleeping like two puddings, she whispered, coming presently back, but it struck me that she had taken longer than to notice merely that, and her face wore an odd expression that made me uncomfortable. I thought she was somehow just about to laugh or cry. By the table, a second, she hesitated. I caught a flash of indecision as it passed. Pan, she said suddenly, 
It was a nickname stolen from my tuck-up stories he had given me. I wonder how Raquette got in. She looked hard at me. It wasn't you, was it? For we never let her come in at night since he had gone. It was too poignant. The beastie always went cuddling and nestling into the empty bed, but this time it was not my doing, and I offered plausible explanations. But she's on the bed. Pan, would you be so kind? She left the sentence unfinished, but I easily understood, for a lump had somehow risen in my own throat too, and I remembered now that she had come out from the inner room so quickly with a kind of hurried rush almost. I put Mare Roquette out into the corridor. A lamp stood on the chair outside the door of another occupant further down, and I urged her gently towards it. She turned and looked at me, straight up into my face, but instead of going down as I suggested, she went slowly in the opposite direction. She stepped softly towards a door in the wall that led up broken stairs into the attics. There she sat down and waited, and so I left her and came back hastily to the peat fire in companionship. The wind rushed in behind me and slammed the door. And we talked then, somewhat busily of cheerful things, of the children's future, the excellence of the cheap Swiss schools, of Christmas presents, skiing, snow, tobogganing. I led the talk away from mournfulness, and when these subjects were exhausted, I told stories of my own adventures in the distant parts of the world. But mother listened the whole time, not to me. Her thoughts were all elsewhere, and her air of intently, secretly listening bordered, I felt, upon the uncanny for she often stopped her knitting and sat with her eyes fixed upon the air before her, stared blankly at the wall, her head slightly on one side, her figure tense, attention strained, elsewhere. Or when my talk positively demanded it, her nod was oddly mechanical and her eyes looked through and past me. The wind continued very loud and roaring, but the fire glowed, the room was warm and cozy, yet she shivered, and when I drew attention to it, her reply, I do feel cold, but I didn't know I shivered, was given as though she spoke across the air to someone else. But what impressed me even more uncomfortably were her repeated questions about Raquette. When a pause in my tale permitted, she would look up with, I wonder where Raquette went, or thinking of the inclement night, I hope Mary Raquette is not out of doors. Perhaps Madame Favre has taken her in. I offered to go and see. Indeed, I was already halfway across the room when there came a heavy bang at the door that rooted me to the ground where I stood. It was not wind. It was something alive that made it rattle. There was a second blow, a thud on the corridor boards followed, and then a high, odd voice that at first was as human as the cry of a child. It is undeniable that we both started, and for myself, I can answer truthfully that a chill ran down my spine. But what frightened me more then the sudden noise and the eerie cry was the way Mother supplied the immediate explanation. For behind the words, it's only Riquette. She sometimes springs to the door like that. Perhaps we better let her in, was a certain touch of uncanny quiet that made me feel she had known the cat would come and knew also why she came. One cannot explain such impressions further. They leave their vital touch, then go their way. Into the little room, however, in that moment, there came between us this uncomfortable sense that the night held other purposes than our own, and that my companion was aware of them. There was something going on, far, far removed from the routine of life, as we were accustomed to it. Moreover, our usual routine was the eddy, while this was the mainstream. It felt big, I mean. And so it was that the entrance of the familiar, friendly creature brought this thing, both itself and Mother knew, 
but whereof I was yet ignorant. I held the door wide, the draft rushed through behind her and sent a shower of sparks about the fireplace. The lamp flickered and gave a little gulp, and Raquette marched slowly past, with all the impressive dignity of her kind towards the other door that stood ajar. Turning the corner like a shadow, she disappeared into the room where the two children slept. We heard the soft thud with which she leapt upon the bed. Then on a lull of wind, she came back again and sat on the oilcloth, staring into Mother's face. She mewed and put a paw out, drawing the black dress softly with half-open claws. And it was also horribly suggestive and pathetic. It revived such poignant memories that I got up impulsively. I think I had actually said the words, we better put her out, Mother, after all. When my companion rose to her feet and forestalled me, she said another thing instead. It took my breath away to hear it. She wants us to go up with her, Pan. Will you come? The surprise on my face must have asked the question, for I do not remember saying anything. To the attic, she said quietly. She stood there by the table, a tall, grave figure, dressed in black, and her face above the lampshade caught the full glare of the light. Its expression positively stiffened me. She seemed so secure in her singular purpose, and her familiar appearance had so oddly given place to something wholly strange to me. She looked like another person, almost with the unwelcome transformation of the sleepwalker about her. Cold came over me as I watched her, for I remembered suddenly her iris second sight, her story years ago of meeting a figure on the attic stairs, the figure of Pedaval, and the idea that this motherly, sedate, and wholesome woman absorbed day and night in prosaic domestic duties and yet seeing things touched the incongruous almost to the point of alarm. It was so distressingly convincing. Yet she knew quite well that I would come. Indeed, following the excited animal, she was already by the door, and a moment later, still without answering or protesting, I was with them in the drafty corridor. There was something inevitable in her manner that made it impossible to refuse. She took the lamp from its nail on the wall, and following our four-footed guide who ran with obvious pleasure just in front, she opened the door into the courtyard. The wind nearly put the lamp out, but a minute later we were safe inside the passage that led up flights of creaky wooden stairs towards the world of tenantless attics overhead. And I shall never forget the way the excited Riquette first stood up and put her paws upon the various doors, trotted ahead, turned back to watch us coming, and then finally sat down and waited on the threshold of the empty raftered space that occupied the entire length of the building underneath the roof. For her manner was more that of an intelligent dog than of a cat, and sometimes more like that of a human mind than either. We'd come up without a single word. The howling of the wind as we rose higher was like the roar of artillery. There were many broken stairs, and the narrow way was full of twists and turns. It was a dreadful journey. I felt eyes watching us from all the yawning spaces of darkness and the noise of the storm smothered footsteps everywhere. Troops of shadows kept us company but it was on the threshold of this big chief attic when Mother stopped abruptly to put down the lamp. For Raquette marched steadily forward into the middle of the dusty flooring, picking her way among the fallen tiles and mortar as though she went towards someone. She purred loudly and uttered little cries of excited pleasure. Her tail went up into the air and she lowered her head with the unmistakable intention of being stroked. Her lips opened and shut, her green eyes smiled, she was being stroked. It was an unforgettable performance. 
I would have rather witnessed an execution or a murder than watch that mysterious creature twist and turn out in the way that she did. Her magnified shadow was as large as a pony on the floor in the rafters. I wanted to hide the whole thing by extinguishing the lamp, for even before the mysterious action began, I experienced a sudden rush of conviction that others besides ourselves were in this attic and standing very close to us indeed. And although there was ice in my blood, there was also a strange swelling of the heart that only love and tenderness could bring. But whatever it was, my human companion, still silent, knew and understood. She saw, and her soft whisper that ran with the wind among the rafters. He prayed for Petaval, and God prayed for him. Did not amaze me one quarter as much as the expression I then caught upon her radiant face. Tears ran down her cheeks, but they were tears of happiness. Her whole figure seemed lit up. She opened her arms, picture of great motherhood, proud, blessed, and tender beyond words. I thought she was going to fall, for she took quick steps forward, but when I moved to catch her, she drew me aside with a sudden gesture that brought fear back into the place of wonder. Let them pass, she whispered grandly. Pan, don't you see? He's leading them into peace and safety by the hand and her joy seemed to kill the shadows and fill the entire attic with white light. Then almost simultaneously with her words, she swayed. I was in time to catch her, but as I did so, across the very spot where we had just been standing, two figures, I swear, went past us like a flood of light. There was a moment next of such confusion that I did not see what happened to Riquette. For the sight of my companion kneeling on the dusty boards and praying with a curious sort of passionate happiness while tears pressed between her covering fingers. The strange wonder of this made me utterly oblivious to minor details. We were sitting around the peat fire again, and Mother was saying to me in the gentlest, tenderest whisper I have ever heard from human lips, Pan, I think perhaps that's why God took him. And when a little later, we went to make Riquette cozy in the empty bed, ever since kept sacred to her use, the mournfulness had lifted it, and the place of resignation was proud peace and joy that knew no longer sad or selfish questionings.
Auditorium exists to showcase music and ideas. I am not an expert at anything, and I have no agenda beyond fostering curiosity. The show is not monetized on any platform. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and others. A video version is available on the Cryonic Mind YouTube page. If you can like, subscribe, comment, etc., it helps the show's visibility. If your music was featured here and you'd prefer it was not, let me know and I will remove it from the feed. You can reach the show at spookatorium at gmail.com. The website can be found at spookatorium.org, and your comments are always welcome. Thanks very much for spending some time here.
That set started with her menacing pet and the track Laudanum Blanket from the recently released Delicious Melancholia EP. Following that was Amazing Grace with Sunday from the 2004 album Revival Times that came out on Desolation House. And the last track you heard was Cryobiosis with Harrow uh, from their Interstasis album on Cryochamber from... I think 2014. Um, that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you to those of you that have stuck with the show this year and those that have only recently found it. I still enjoy doing it, and I have some ideas that I will hopefully make the time to put into place in the new year. Uh, this is Return of the Freezing Winds by Carpathian Forest. Cheers to you and yours. <laughs> <laughs>